Ohio State opens its CFP bid at number five in the initial rankings. We'll talk about that as well as a solid but maybe not inspiring win over Penn State and preview the Buckeyes' upcoming trip to Nebraska to face the Cornhuskers. All that and more in this edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance along with my partner in crime, Johnny Ray Genner. Johnny, you know, as I watched the game Saturday, Ohio State and its scarlet out the shoe versus the Nittany Lions, I, I thought I was looking at a team that has made a lot of improvements and still has some room to grow into its potential. Is that a fair read as you watch the Buckeyes versus the Nits on Saturday? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And honestly, I don't get too worked up about a relatively close or maybe a closer than expected Penn State game because Ohio State does have some you know, really notable blowouts of the Nittany Lions. But in the past six games, I, I looked this up. I think their average margin of victory is less than a touchdown. It's like six points. So it's not, we're not talking about, you know, a, a series where one team is just completely dominating the other, even though Ohio State thinks one five straight. Um, it's, it's definitely a team that's going to come in, play really closely, give you a battle. They did that. They have a good defense. They clamped down on Ohio State a lot and, and there are some things that you can talk about you know with production in the red zone especially but overall I mean I think this was a decent win against a pretty good team not a great team and it's something where you're in the middle of the season and it's a good reminder that there's still a lot to work on so I I like that I do still appreciate that that the team kind of look internally and say what worked what didn't how can we improve and make sure that if we play a team of this caliber coming up, we can put our foot on the pedal and make sure we win by, you know, 30 instead of nine. Things that jumped out at me, uh, you know, certainly were defensively, you know, I, I wasn't like really super angry with Ohio state's defense. In fact, you love the fact that they forced three turnovers, yeah. a pair, a pair of fumbles and, and granted that, you know, fumbles didn't necessarily lead to that first one in particular didn't lead to anything magical. Um, that interception was great. You know, well, there was they, one they, extremely they magical turnover six as it were. Yeah. Uh, I refuse to call them fat guy touchdowns because a man that can run a five, one you want to call him fat? You know, I'm there for him <laughs> taking your head off. How's that? Yeah. Uh, but I, I love that. That play of the game by far. Well done. Uh, Jerron Cage was just that was sick. Uh, that, yeah, fifty-seven yard scoop score, and, and <laughs> I I I laugh, and at the same time was super impressed when ESPN ran that graphic of him, you know, from the forty to the end zone. Granted, had a running start, had a running start, but a five-one forty at what they say three hundred and five pounds. Yeah, that's generous. He's not three hundred and five pounds. <laughs> You're suggesting that uh, sports height and weight are not. Yeah, I feel like accurate. I feel like that's some vanity uh, poundage there. I don't know that that's actually his his current weight. I think he might be slightly above that. But I agree with you. It was incredibly athletic and fun to watch. And you know, when you see something like that, the guy will run for twenty yards. Like, oh man, is he going to get winded? But he didn't get winded. He just he ran it all the way into the end zone. And that was the thing is as awesome as it was. That was also a really critical touchdown too. It was really like Ohio State needed those points at that point in time in the game. And uh, as has happened in other games against Penn State and you know other Big Ten teams later in the season, you, you get a defensive or special teams you know turnover points or something like that, and that can really help buoy the rest of the team. So it was it was great. It was really great to see and. Um, you know, the Ohio State, we talked about this kind of having an identity on defense, right? Where mm -hmm. they're 
not amazing overall, right? And they did an incredible job shutting down the Penn State rushing game, but kind of let John Clifford pass all over him. Although, frankly, I would have had the exact same approach if I were, you know, the guys calling the plays defensively because especially how they played in the previous week against Illinois. Um, But the identity that the defense does seem to have is their ability to take the ball away and generate points off of that. So, you know, whether it's a pick six or a scoop and score or whatever, that is a part of who they are. And I like that they're looking for strip sacks and they're looking for, you know, ways to jump in front of routes and things like that. It's just, that's, if there are deficiencies in terms of personnel, like, especially if you're looking at linebacking play, then that's something that can make up for it at least a little bit. So I I enjoyed that aspect of it quite a bit. And I thought they did a good job. You know, one thing that I don't know, sometimes you got to watch statistics, but uh, there, there was a, a, a post I saw someone make that said, you know, before, before steel chambers uh was ejected from the game due to a targeting call and and we'll talk about targeting a little bit later in the program but prior to that uh ohio state had allowed like three points and after with steel chambers out of the game allowed 21 points or something along (laughs) those lines i i haven't checked the veracity of that but back to your point about the linebackers i mean to me that's still the piece of the defense i have questions or concerns about one unit on the defense that I think has improved mightily, or at least if, if it's not fair to say they've improved to have, have at least found a rhythm would be the defensive line. You and I talked about this early on in the season. They did not look like maybe because of the obscenely high expectations that we have for defensive line play at Ohio state, they, they didn't look like the Ohio state defensive line of old. Now, fast forward, they're tied for seventh nationally in total sacks mm-hmm. and 16th best uh, in the nation in terms of rushing yards allowed per game. They're allowing under 107 yards per game rushing. That's a huge improvement from those first two weeks when it felt like everybody could run on Ohio State. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a big improvement. Part of that is maybe some of the teams that they've played, but I, I do think that they're playing more cohesively as a unit, which is a big deal. And, you know, Sean Clifford threw the ball 52 times yeah. <laughs> against Ohio State. Yeah. So you're going to have an opportunity to sack the dude. Um but they still were generating pressure on a regular basis from the beginning of the game. I guess, you know, a Penn State offensive line, which I think you can say definitely has had its ups and downs, I think mm-hmm. maybe to put it mildly. Yeah. Um, but overall, you're right. They are they're becoming much more cohesive, playing at a pretty high level, not, not you know, the Bosa's and Chase Young kind of level, but they're getting there. And... You know, I think there have been some players on the defensive line that have been a bit of a disappointment. You look at like Zach Harrison. I think a lot of people had hoped that he would have taken that next step to become an All-American type player, and he he just hasn't done that. Um, But overall, I think they're playing really well. And especially encouraging is the play of the really young guys who have kind of, you know, gotten some significant playing time on the line. So, you know, it's... This is a game overall that I'm I'm sitting here watching. I don't think Ohio State, I'll watch a close game and I start to worry sometimes. This is not a game where I was ever worried. I was like, Ohio State's got this in the bag, no matter what. Um, I was not concerned, but it is one to improve on. And I, if you're looking for bright spots, I mean, we can talk about offensively. CJ Stroud had an excellent game, right? I mean, in a really great game. Trayvon Henderson started really slow and then got a lot better as the game went on. 
so there's still there's still a lot to like there um especially offensively and i'm not i'm not nothing here concerns me it's just something that they have to learn to be more consistent on yeah and 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 i i think that's i think that's fair one thing i'd like to see from this defense in general this is not a defensive line thing but a defensive thing in general you were talking about their their identity and you like that they're going for strip sacks and in trying to be ball hawks and make a play on the ball the the other side of that sword i would like to see them get back to some of the fundamentals and basics on tackling i think there are times where they've lost some of that you know i go i think back even yeah. when, when chris chris ash came in and and there was a, a a real focus like ohio state had been a super sloppy tackling team and and ash kind of instituted and and it carried through for several years a a focus on good solid fundamental tackling and ohio state became a very good tackling team i i don't think this year is the best tackling team uh i've seen in the last 10 they're not the worst no no, no question and some of this i i think is a trade-off of hey we're trying to make a play on the ball and, and maybe get the turnover instead yeah, of and just I, I putting the guys plays into the that turf. as well though you know what i mean like i think that there's that's one of those things where you see guys they're trying like i agree with you they're trying to make a play and it's not that they can't do it and I don't even think it's that they haven't been taught it. I, I do agree with you that a large part of it is they just inexperience, getting too hyped up, not really doing the fundamental stuff that they need to do. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, but that'll get better, I think, as they kind of mature. It's just going to take some time, I think, for them to, to get to that point. Um, and not missing, you know, veteran <laughs> linebacker, steel chambers, yeah, not, not missing him on the field, of course, I think impacts that as well. Well, so. let's let's go ahead and take this opportunity to talk about that. Uh, I I don't think it's I don't think it's a stretch to say that targeting is the most controversial rule in the sport, which is not my way of saying that it's a bad rule. I think the intent yeah. of the rule is good and important, and at the same time, I I think it's probably the most poorly applied rule i don't want to say poorly officiated i think the officials are probably doing the best job they can uh but it's it's overly punitive for one thing steel chambers is a is a great example of that uh, ryan day made the point this week that because this happened on so early in the second half it's a lot more punitive for chambers than it would have been if he had gotten ejected toward the end of the second half yeah <laughs> if you're going to target make sure that you do it with a minute left in the first half as opposed right. to the first minute in the second half, which is silly, right? Like that's something that you would even consider and think about with regards to that. And um, yeah. And you're not going to, but it's like that, that to me was a, when he said it that way, it's like, that's a wake up call that maybe the way this is enforced, you know, why, why not just disqualify the player for the rest of the game? Like that's how you would do with any other yeah. kind of like normal kind of thing, I would think, or, or, hey, you know what? There's already, um, you know, several other penalties related here. Why isn't it 15 yards and a loss of down or whatever it is? I mean, I know they're trying to make it a bigger deal. We want to get headhunting out of the sport. I think we've done that by and large. Mm -hmm. And so many of these plays feel like, and I know there's been discussion over the years. People will say, oh, well, we need to do it like we do in basketball. Do a flagrant one, flagrant two. I don't, I don't think you want to do that. I don't think you want to go to yellow card, red card. I think that's putting too much on officials who probably already have too much 
on their plate to do well in real time. Yeah, that's just that's more things for them to screw up. More things for them to screw up. Uh, but at the same time, it is is extremely frustrating. This is why I think the rule is overly punitive now. It's extremely frustrating to see a defender make unintentional, I won't say incidental, but unintentional helmet-to-helmet contact or unintentionally. Because I, Chambers wasn't trying to knock old boy's head off, in other words. No. What, no, do we, what, I, do we, what do we do about the like how, what, what's your what's your answer I mean, we all agree it's a problem what do we do about it understanding I, understanding the ncaa will do the exact opposite of what the right <laughs> thing is what, what's the solution right now the thing for me is that i generally agree with the idea of having targeting being a penalty because i do think that there are still some guys who aren't necessarily headhunting they're just playing extremely just stupidly like they're going yep. out and they're putting themselves and other people at risk. Like you want to like textbook example of this is last year against Clemson and Scousey comes in, leads with the crown of his helmet. Probably, I mean, really more dangerous to him than it was to Justin Fields. Although obviously it hurt Justin Fields, but he could have broken his neck doing that. Yeah. He's an idiot, and he do, and he he's done that multiple times. That has to be penalized. But for me, like I don't have a problem with just waiting and deciding you know, what a penalty could be after the fact, like after the game, if, if there's something that's so egregious, it can wait. Right. And again, like I understand the, the, the idea that you want to like address something immediately and, and toss a guy if they do something super egregious, but I don't think you have to do it in that moment. I think you can award a penalty. I think you say that's 15 yards, personal foul, whatever, and then review it and decide if it warrants a, a, you know a half or a full game suspension and and so because it like i agree with you when we first start talking about this it's like okay so if you do it with the last minute remaining in the first half versus in the second half i mean it, it completely changes the dynamic of your punishment and and what it means that seems so arbitrary it shouldn't be like that i, I feel like we have the ability we have cameras everywhere everybody sees what's happening on the field you can go back after the game and as a league decide what the proper punishment is. And I think in the moment you just say, okay, well that's 15 yards. So then we're going to look at this. We're going to review this later. Um, Cause you know, with steel chambers like that dude doesn't deserve to be ejected and doesn't deserve to be suspended for a half as a result, like mm-hmm. it, and miss a full game because of it. Um, so I just, I don't know. It's something where they don't have to do everything in the moment. And it just puts the onus too much on referees who get so much wrong anyway, even with review um, to try to make a judgment call like that, you know, in the heat of the game. I I just don't think that's the right way to approach it. I think you can take your time with it rather than issue a pretty severe punishment, you know, within a couple minutes of the event happening. Yeah. I I like that. And, you know, just even something as basic as what day suggested during his press conference this week, changing, the the length of the penalty to be a time specific rather than number of halves or quarters to address yeah. some of that what he called iniquity you know even something that basic and you know the other point that I thought Coach Day made that was really good is when you you look at something that happens in real time he said I felt like in real time it was a very different call he said went on to say the rules in the play in place for the right reasons but I also think there's a difference between what's going on in real time and what's being shown on replay. So so in other words, sometimes these hits look a lot worse when you slow them down. That's and, true. And when you watch the replay, like there's a play that you'll watch in real time and you'll be like, okay, football play. And then when they show it slow down, you're like, oh my God, he almost killed a man. Like, <laughs> no, no, dude was fine, but 
it looks really terrible when you put it in slow motion. Now that's not to say that we shouldn't use replay, you know, in applying these things, obviously replay is become an important part of the game, but it's, you know, back to this whole question of how punitive this rule is, is, is it one of those things that we're kicking kids out of games for, you know, now the better part of two games. Yeah. I think that's the other problem I have with the two quarters rule or the two halves rule is, you know, you, you, you miss all of one game or half of two, like that's worse. You know, right. you get ejected in the first half of the game. That's bad. But, you know, getting, getting ejected the second half of the Penn state game, the first half of the Nebraska game, like that's, that's a yeah, lot. Of it li- and it's literally dependent. Like that's the thing. It's so, it's so capricious. It's literally just dependent on when the foul occurs depend and, and you could double your punishment. Like that's, what's so crazy about it to me. And and so that's why I think you got to, you got to take it out of the heat of the moment and go, okay, yeah. well, what's really appropriate here? Because there are there are some cases where guys deserve a full game suspension. I think that that is true. That does happen, mm-hmm. but you don't have to decide it immediately. You you can you know you can figure that out later on. Um, and, and, uh, and, and with bowl games, is... I, I you know that's a little bit more difficult. But I think in the season, you don't have to do it right away. Yeah, and maybe this is one of those maybe this is one of those things that I, I, I really believe in some future iteration of the power five, because we're, we're inching ever closer to the day where it's the power five doing its own thing and everybody else doing something totally different. Uh, you know, as, as the UC move to the big 12 and, and UC's shunning in the CFP, which we're going to talk about in, the, in, in a moment uh, have proven the power five is very different from everyone else so i i really think we're inching toward a time when there is a power five commissioner for lack of a better term mm-hmm. who oversees this stuff and and maybe that's one of those things you kick it to the league office and you know the commissioner has a a, a staff that that's what they do is they they deal with those things so we'll see all yeah. right i want to move on we talked quite a bit about the defense we got to talk about ohio state's offense so statistically speaking the best offense in the country uh, I don't think it looked like the best offense in the country Saturday night versus Penn State. Johnny, was that a function of Penn State being the best defense they have faced all season and one of the better defenses they'll face until the playoff? Or uh, was this just one of those things that, hey, it's midway through the season, uh, Halloween weekend, full moon, funky stuff happens? Well, I, you know, I think it is a function of Penn State having a pretty good defense, but really, to me, it's that they, I think Ohio State expected to have more success on the ground at the beginning of the game than they got. And because they were getting just completely shut down on the ground at the start of the game, they had to kind of revamp what their game plan was going to be. And which is fine. Ohio State has, obviously has the ability to do that, right? You've got a really great quarterback. You've got the best wide receiver core in the country. You can lean on those dudes and score some points. But because they were getting so thoroughly shut down, especially on first and second down, um, you know, they they did not do a great job converting third downs either. So it's like there's there was, I think, a lot of tension in the first half where you are seeing a team that was forced to be one dimensional in a way that they didn't expect. And they weren't doing a super great job in these third and longs. And that it just, they were off their game. Now it says something that they could still come out and score 33 points and, you know, put up over 450 yards that there's still a lot of talent here. Um, and of course, Henderson did eventually get going and had that amazing touchdown run and all that stuff. But um, 
I just think they were out of sorts. I don't, I don't think they expected that from Penn state and maybe that's their fault. Maybe they should have game planned a little bit better, but to me, there aren't any alarm bells ringing. It's just a team that was put off their game at the beginning of the, you know, the, especially in the first half. And then they found their footing a little bit better in the second half and, and, you know, still ended up doing okay. Red zone obviously is, is something that you're going to have to talk about and think about. And luckily you've got a guy who has not missed the entire year, which is kind of awesome. And not something that, you know, Ohio state fans have really had to think about too much, but um, yeah, it, it's just, it's one of those games where I just don't think they expected what they got from the Penn state defense. I've been on the bandwagon that Ohio state should legitimately be a candidate for the Joe Moore award for the most outstanding offensive line. They've, they've been talked up by a number of the um, analysts who have covered these games on television. And, and I think rightfully so they've been very, very good, particularly in pass protection. I mean, CJ Stroud has had the cleanest of pockets to throw from oh, yeah. by, by and large all season. And, and obviously you've had a running back in Travion Henderson who, up until the Penn State game, I think was really considered to be a um, a potential Heisman Trophy finalist, along with C.J. Stroud. But but Henderson was getting a lot of attention for a true freshman running back, and yet we saw against Penn State seven false starts. Now one of those, yeah, that, Olave, um, <laughs> that's out there, yeah, that's a good point. Se- seven false starts. What? That's pretty bad. What in seven hells was going on with? That offensive line, I, I mean, I was ready to throw the remote at the television. Yeah, I got, I have no explanation for that. That, that is an excellent point. And I, yeah, I mean, especially when you've got guys who have been doing so well prior to that, um, that's, that's pretty inexcusable. I, I would hope that that's something that they get cleaned up pretty, pretty quickly. Um, cause you don't want that to become a habit at all. Um, and, and, and I don't want to single out any, any one player, but I don't think it is a stretch to say Ohio State does not have a Remington finalist on the roster yeah, no. this season. After having many of them over the past 10 years, this this ain't one of those years. No, it's not. And that and that's, you know, people had hoped that a guy like Harry Miller would be in that role. And then obviously that didn't really work out. And yeah, it's that's an important role. You know what I mean? Like you, it's, it's really kind of the leader of the line. You're calling out covered, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It, it's not disheartening. I'm not watching it just, you know, thinking, Oh, this is Ohio state going to regress or whatever, but that is something where you're going to be paying pretty close attention to against Nebraska because that has to be fixed, which, you know, so the, the part of that, there were definitely a couple of those false start penalties that, you know, put Ohio state in, uh, position that they weren't able to then, you know, convert a third down or something along those. I mean, there were some really, uh, you know, poorly timed uh, penalties there. But I think the other the other thing that that, that offensive line play, um, where I was somewhat concerned is probably too strong a word, but Ohio State's offense struggled mightily in the red zone. Nineteen red zone points in six trips. This was a team that was basically averaging a point per play coming into Mm -hmm. uh, the Penn state game. That certainly was not the case Saturday night and, and short yardage situations. How many times did they get stuffed on third and short? How many times did we just run Travion Henderson up the middle for nothing? Uh, I, I, I guess I was a little befuddled about that aspect of the game plan. 
Well, you would hope that, you know, when it's clearly not working, Ryan Day and company would be like, okay, we got to get a little more creative about how we're going to try to get this guy the ball out of the backfield. And they did a couple times. I mean, there was, you know, some some nice passes and things like that. But uh, yeah, I agree with you, man. That that was not, <laughs> that was frustrating. That was probably the thing I was most frustrated about. Like, the, it's not, it's clearly not working, right? It's not working having him run right up the gut, you know, just do literally anything. Uh, to maybe get him to the edge, allow him to utilize the speed, whatever. But, um, you know, you want to see Ohio State and Ohio State offensive line blow teams off the line of scrimmage, and they just they were not doing that. And I think they've been far better in pass pro than they have been in, in general, in, yes. You yes. Know, run blocking anyway. Um, you know, but this was an interesting game. Trevion Henderson, who I, I mentioned I'm super high on, averaging about 10 attempts over the previous four games. He ran... 28 times Mm -hmm. Saturday night. I mean, that, that was, I I knew he was going to get his number called more than normal. I, I honestly didn't think he would break 20 carries uh, just because that has not been something Ohio state was, was doing a truckload. Uh, And his first nine carries went for six yards. (laughs) It's pretty bad. Ah, I I mean, Jiminy Christmas. Now, you know, he, he broke off uh, 19, 446 in the second half. So that's right. great. But, it, it, you know, and maybe that and maybe that's all it was, was that you you have this mindset that running the ball tires out a defense. And, and you knew if you just kept ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound, eventually it would buckle. Obviously, he made it happen in the second half. But I yeah, I guess that I did not expect that from um from ohio state now henderson had his own uh false start penalty uh, you know the seven false starts weren't all on the offensive line a lot of had one one had henderson but you know it um henderson still lightning in a bottle uh but i i i would like to see more consistency out of the running game in general and and maybe we will in lincoln um nebraska's defense though is is not terrible we'll talk about nebraska more more in a bit um other other takeaways that you had from the game offensively things you liked or things that uh made you say hmm uh no ruggles mvp that's <laughs> the man <laughs> with the plan right that guy was i just love man i just love that ohio state continues to have a really great kicking game and that was you know again Am I am I stoked about the fact that the guy has to do that so Ohio State can win more comfortably? No, but do I think it's really amazing and pretty kick-ass? Yes, I enjoy that quite a bit. So he was he was solid, and you need a guy to be like that. Um, not been called upon too much, right? Uh, nor the punting unit, but he was still able to go out there and, and you know kick some butt and i think what he's a semi-finalist for lou grosier now so I, I, and, I, and, and you know those two i mean i really feel like those two things are related i'm not saying that ruggles wouldn't oh no he wouldn't have gotten it without the penn state game there's yeah, no way I, I mean what a showcase for a young kicker right so this guy yeah. has not missed a single kick in eight games uh so now one of 20 semifinalists i always laugh at these awards you know oh somebody's semifinalists or 20 semifinalists but one of 20 semifinalists for the lou grosier award super cool uh made all of uh, the 11 field goal attempts, he's tried four in that Penn State game, which also owned him Big Ten co-special teams player of the week honors and has converted all 47 of his extra point attempts. One of the things I always think about when we talk about kicking, Ohio State's known for having great special teams play. 
I write a column every Sunday uh, that has a segment that typically focuses on some punting related issue right. in Jim Tressel's least favorite moment of the game. Uh, and, and yet at the same time, Ohio State has not had to rely on its kickers the way other college programs do. And so it's funny because on one hand, I think, you know, Ohio State's known for having the best punter in the country, even though they don't win the awards because they don't do it enough, but known for having one of the best punters in, in college football, one of the best place kickers in college football. And, and I always wonder, does, does not having to rely on them keep Ohio State out of the hunt for the, the best and brightest? Clearly, the answer to that is no. The, the best are still coming to Ohio State. Oh, sure. Even, yeah. even if they're not going to have to go out and win the game every single week or punt 15 times a game. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about Ohio State fandom is that, and maybe people don't really fully appreciate how much Ohio State fans enjoy a good punt. And, it's, <laughs> you know, and that's entirely due to Jim Trestle and people really buy into that mentality and whatnot which is most great important, but most like important yeah. part of the game yeah man and it's fun it, like i still very specifically remember a punt um that uh shoot i can't remember exactly <laughs> i remember i can't remember the guy who kicked it but i remember the punt itself where it was a cold day it was against indiana and the ball just died like somebody shot it out of the air like it was a clay pigeon and it just like dropped on the ground and didn't even bounce because it was a cold wet day and it was like on the one yard line I remember the the stadium losing its mind, <laughs> like like somebody had just scored like a touchdown with a backflip because people were just like, "That's the greatest punt I've ever seen," yeah. and so <laughs> that that adds something special. I enjoy that, and and maybe you know maybe people understand that. Maybe if you're a punter or a kicker, you realize that maybe your services won't be required as much as maybe other places, but you'll at least be valued. One of the things I wonder about, and this is very esoteric before we get back to uh, the, the topic in hand, as, as Moneyball, advanced type, analytics, sabermetrics, and whatnot take more hold, there's, there's a part of me, and I know that there, you know, there, there is at least well, one well-known uh, coach who has who's taken that stance of never punt, just you know, always go for it and fourth down. But yep. I, are you surprised that more teams don't go for it more given that the data might support being more aggressive like is the punt really the most important play in football i i don't know i i think it's a combination of coaches being in the moment and they look and they see what their team's doing they're like i don't i don't i just don't trust this team right now versus maybe also kind of having that old school appreciation for um you know, the punt and, and being like, look, we're going to play the field position battle and we're going to try to make that work. And I, I the field position battle, I, <laughs> I, I want to believe it's still a thing, you know, like I want to believe that it's, it's real, but I think it's a lot less real in 2021 than it was 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's probably a lot of coaches who've been around for 15 years, 20 years, 30 years and go, well, psh, <laughs> it worked when, it worked when I was a GA at Miami of Ohio. So why can't it work now when I'm at a Penn State? So like that's I think that's part of it. It, it. A lot of it's stubbornness. And yeah, if you know, it still blows my mind when I see a coach punt from like their opponent's 45 or something like that. I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> like it's six and one half does the other. They're gonna mm -hmm. in two plays, they could be right where you're at. Yeah. There's no I mean, and that's no and that's and that's assuming 
even that is assuming that you're able to like down the punt within, you know, their 10 or 15 yard line, which is not a guarantee. You might, you might as well kick it out of the back of the end zone and they still, they, it's like a 15 yard difference from where you were at to where they're going to start. So it's, I don't know. It, it's understandable that if you're a coach, you want to minimize risk. And I think that's what coaches, a lot of coaches are all about. Um, but I think sometimes they just haven't come around to the idea that doing so requires uh, doing something a little counterintuitive, which is going forward on fourth down. I want to look at the other big news of the week before we get into discussing Nebraska and Ohio State's uh, trip to Lincoln. The Buckeyes ranked number five in the initial college football playoff rankings. We have officially reached the point of the season where the AP and coaches polls are even less meaningless than the rest of the weeks of the year, because uh-huh. the only ranking that matters has now reached us. All right. Number five, Johnny too high, too low, just right. Uh, Oh, I'm fine with five. I think five is, is perfectly adequate. And if Ohio state wins out given who they'll play and beat i i don't think they have to worry about anything i think they're good to go um you know the one loss still hurts but there are very few scenarios where i would be concerned for ohio state being ranked at number five especially since they're ahead of cincinnati which again you know as we've talked about before on the dubcast it brings me no amount of small like no small amount of glee <laughs> that they got screwed over that badly and they did get screwed Cincinnati got utterly screwed oh, and if oh, i was a Cincy we, fan yeah uh, since football fan i would be furious because it's it really is baffling that they were ranked that low uh but it's definitely good news for ohio state because you're good to go now with that said all of this is completely arbitrary and they can change their standards and their you know criteria for ranking teams on a week-to-week basis but i think if you're ohio state you gotta feel pretty good about that Looking at the top 25, number one with a bullet, Georgia, no surprise there. Number two, one loss, Alabama. Hmm. Dumb, dumb, Undefeated Michigan State, one loss, Oregon, then the Buckeyes, then the Bearcats, followed by that team up north, also seven and one. An undefeated Oklahoma at number eight, followed by an undefeated Wake Forest, and then one loss, Notre Dame, rounding out the top 10 other notables. Uh uh, Big 10, relatively well represented with wisconsin at 21 iowa at 22 um well there's so many things to talk about here but the most important one since you've you've um mentioned cincinnati it to me is abundantly clear that it's not going to happen for cincinnati they they their schedule is (laughs) not getting any tougher they shot their shot they beat notre dame which is a top 10 team in these initial playoff rankings uh to me the committee has flipped the double birds at cincinnati as they have done previously to every undefeated group of five team that has even thought about sniffing the door to scratch at it uh i don't see a scenario where cincinnati gets in aside from like obscene like book of revelation level chaos (laughs) I mean, the thing, the problem that Cincinnati has is that you've got a number of one loss teams ranked ahead of them. So unless all of those teams lose, the committee is essentially already posited that those teams are better than an undefeated Cincinnati. So you've, you've really, I mean, and some of them will lose, you will see some extra losses there, but like the other thing that Cincinnati has to worry about is teams behind them, jumping them. 
like an Oklahoma or something like that. So if Oklahoma all of a sudden starts to look really good and, and wins a conference and all that, then Cincinnati may not be able to even maintain their hold over them. So I agree with you. I think they're pretty much screwed um, unless, you know, like you said, there's some really crazy 2007 stuff that happens. Uh, I think it's, again, I, I'm the kind of guy who just does not want Cincinnati Bearcat football fans to be happy, but I am 100% with them that they got utterly screwed in this. And it's really sad because it shows how reluctant this committee is to make any kind of changes to either their preconceived notions or what they want in the playoffs or any of this other stuff, because Alabama shouldn't be number two. I'm sorry. Like Alabama is a really good team this year. They're not great. Like they, they have some serious deficiencies on both sides of the ball, frankly, like they can be scored on and they don't have a super consistent offense in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and you could say, well, who else would be number two? Well, I don't know. Michigan state, if you really feel like that. But the point is, is that they're really setting things up to make sure that if Alabama beats Georgia, for example, both teams are going to be able to, to be in the playoff. And that's stupid. That's really stupid. And I don't think anybody actually wants to see that outside of, maybe some of the people on the committee. Um, that's actually probably more irritating to me than anything else in these rankings. Um, but it, it just, it just seems like they're really, they want to make everything kind of be predestined right now. And it's it bring maybe from their perspective, they're trying to bring sanity to the college football season. But I think that's dumb as hell. I think that's really stupid. I, you know, I commented after the rankings came out, I'm perfectly fine with Ohio state being ranked number five in, yeah, in a right. vacuum. I, you know, Oregon has the head to head win and Oregon's, schedule their resume right now is, is roughly equivalent to Ohio State's. I, I have no problem rationalizing Oregon over Ohio State right now. Do I think yeah. at the end of the year it, it, it can change, especially given that Ohio State's going to play uh, these other Big Ten teams who have been, you know, really well regarded, namely Michigan and Michigan State, you know, so Ohio State's going to have multiple wins over top 10 teams, hypothetically, if it's standing at the end of the season with a case for, for the playoffs, if it doesn't win those two games. It's irrelevant. They win those two games and, and the hypothetical uh, big 10 championship, then, then they're in over Oregon in my mind. And I don't think that's a big stretch. And cause I mean, you look no. at, I mean, who's the next highest ranked pac 12 team. It's God, are there even any more on here? Fresno state's not in the pac 12. Are they, are they no. in the pac 12? No. Okay. So, I, I mean, there's literally nobody else in the Pac-12. Wow, I don't think I realized that until I was looking yeah. at that. There's yeah, literally sure nobody Oregon's else. Themselves. Wow, that's wow. <laughs> that's pretty stun- bad. I mean, like, that's that's stunning. It is, uh, and, and here's the thing, though. Like, Wake Forest at least has NC State in there. Yeah. Uh, I wow, and Pitt, and Pitt. I mean, so God bless the ACC. Well, anyway, okay. Back to my point. The so I don't have a problem with Ohio state being ranked number five after Oregon. I think that's fine. I think that's a legitimate. You could justify that with, with logic and data and the eye test and all those kind of things. What is not okay. I I think is I would be salty as a drowned sailor. If I were a Cincinnati fan right now, because what, what has the committee said to the G five, you know, go out and schedule these, these big non-conference games and, you know, do it do it like this. Cincinnati did that. They went out and scheduled the non-conference games they needed to and won. It is not their fault that their conference, they're trying to get out of their conference as fast as they can (laughs) to get in a better conference. And, and the committee's like, 
Oh, you didn't schedule BYU schedule. Sorry. Well, they can't schedule BYU schedule. They can't schedule Notre Dame schedule. They can't, they can't, they're in a conference. And I, I just think it's wrong that basically we have been led to believe for six, seven years now that if these power group five teams, these non-power five teams do X, Y, and Z, they'd get a shot. They will not get a shot. They will never get a shot. It's not going to happen. If Cincinnati is an undefeated team that beat Notre Dame, can't get in, it ain't happening. Period. Period. Yeah. And it's it sucks. And that's, I think, an endorsement for expanding the playoff. Now, of course, there's consternation about whether that will happen. Right. You know, they're, they're still hemming and hawing over that. Greg Sankey um, says it's it's four or twelve. They will not acquiesce to anything in between. Which because is, I don't. <laughs> they either want no, no. Think about this. You you either want a guaranteed two SEC teams in the playoff, or right. a guaranteed six SEC teams in the playoff. <laughs> like eight, he's he's sit down and calculated. Especially if they do auto bids for the G five, that you're going to say five conference plus six. That only leaves them two at large. That only leaves them two at large. So the most they're going to get in would be three. That's why he hates. Th- that's why he hates. Yeah. The idea of eight because the the most they could get in would be three, right? And right. which in, is in, still in an, an absurd amount. I mean, almost half of a playoff being one conference. Come on, come on, dude. Those are the greediest bastards in the sport. No, I get it. And, and, and they I went out and poached Texas and Oklahoma for crying right. out loud. Like well, they're the but greediest okay. bastards in the sport. Yes, but okay, then that's their own fault because if that's the case, if they're going to go ahead and get those those blue bloods, then that makes it even more difficult for them to get a decent amount of teams. Like I agree, I understand. Like you want to have those twelve so you can include potentially those teams in it as well and claim that they're SEC teams, whatever. But I don't know. I, I feel like they've kind of painted themselves in a corner a little bit because at a certain point you're going to actually have to look at these SEC teams, right? Yeah. I mean, there there's a there's some very good teams in the SEC. There's a lot of there's a lot of refuse in the SEC. There's a lot of uh, you know mediocrity there. So I don't I don't know. I, I don't think anybody's clamoring, for instance, to to take another look at like Auburn, right? Or you know, like to go like, oh, you know, we need to we need to figure out what these guys are doing. Like maybe Texas A and M. Let's give another look. I I don't think people are doing that right now um, because they're looking at two teams and that's it. Well, to your, to your point, I mean, the SEC currently in the, in the top 25, Georgia and Alabama in the top 10, right? That's it. Uh, a future member, Oklahoma in at number eight, <laughs> LOL undefeated Oklahoma at number eight. I love it. And yep. then, you know, the big 10 has three, five and seven. So there are more big 10 teams in the top 10, you know, who, who had that on their bingo card. Um, I, I find, I find the Alabama ranking to be the most uh, frustrating isn't the right word it, it, it indefensible i think the only defense of the alabama ranking at number two one loss alabama who lost to a i guess number 14 now but at the time unranked texas a&m team mm-hmm. uh, okay and it may be better than what people thought they were at that time good for them but you have um the most historically undeserving as as our friend kevin harris put it in the skull session thursday morning you go and you look at the data and god bless the redditors who compiled this alabama is the only non-undefeated team ever to be ranked at number two in the initial cfp rankings the earliest a non-undefeated team had been ranked in the top two was alabama surprise in week 10 of the 2015 season after defeating the number two team in the country 
They're just the fourth non-undefeated team ranked in the top four without a win over a current top 10 team. Again, Alabama, and then 2017, you had both Notre Dame and Clemson, but both of them had current wins over current top 10s. And Alabama's loss to A&M is the fifth worst loss by a top four team. Ole Miss had a loss to then number 19, LSU. Alabama in that same 2015 season had lost to number 18, Ole Miss. And then, of course, Clemson and Oregon had both lost to unranked Stanford and Syracuse. So this is one of those where you look and say the only reason they're ranked at number two. Well, there are two reasons. One, you would say the only reason they're ranked at number two is because they're Alafreakin Bama. Right. And they're getting the the grace of Nick Saban. Yeah, they're getting the benefit of the thing now. for you know every other year since the dawn of time. If you really want to be as <laughs> I know your favorite topic is conspiracy theories, if you really <laughs> want to be, you know, conspiracy theorist about it. We're ranking them at number two so Georgia and Alabama can be in the college football playoff, regardless of how the rest of the season changes. Yeah, no, that's but I, I do think that that's kind of how the committee feels about it. Like these are the best two teams in the SEC, and yeah, they'll play each other, but that'll just prove how great they both are, right? Even if one team blows out the other team, it's like, oh, that was just a great game, whatever. And then they don't have to look at at the actual makeup of these teams. Alabama doesn't have a great rushing game. Like they don't, they're not a great rushing team and they've, you know, got some really good uh, receivers, you know, one obviously from, uh, from Ohio state and Bryce Young's playing really well and all that stuff, but they're, they're not a fantastic team top to bottom. Um, but you know, the committee doesn't seem to care about that, which it is stupid and unfortunate. And, you want to see more than just name recognition when it comes to something like this. But I just, I don't know. It, it feels so predictive. That's what really bothers me about it. Because the thing about college football that's so exciting and fun is the fact that you never know what's going to happen, right? The, the, the idea of potential, the idea of, you know, crazy things happening and big time upsets. And the committee seems to not like that, right? They, they seem to want to, they seem to, to kind of, shy away from any kind of uh you know potential for big upsets or, or teams kind of busting in on the party and it's just it's unfortunate so alabama shouldn't be ranked that high i mean if honestly if you're looking at resume i think good number two would probably be michigan state at this point frankly um yeah. and that's weird that, that's, that's a really no, weird that's thing to say absolutely what should have happened it. absolutely what should have happened uh yeah. and uh, you know the 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 thing I put that, alabama at like four at this point frankly the thing that I think it's pretty clear is that for Ohio state fans, you don't need to worry about it because no, you're good. when, and you're in, which I mean, is basically the case every year for Ohio state, um, when and you're in because they have with this marker set down. Now, if you were number six or God forbid, number seven, which I thought, you know, there's a possibility they could be as low as seven. If they had put up say undefeated Oklahoma an undefeated wake, undefeated Cincinnati, you know, those teams could have in theory been higher up. I thought you could see Ohio state as low as seven and, and have, I won't say a reasonable argument, but at least an argument you could make and look yourself in the mirror, uh, having them at five, you know, beat Michigan state. Clearly you're going to move up there. Whether you move ahead of Oregon or not is sort of, is sort of irrelevant, but I think you could have the case pretty easily that Ohio state could be number two or number three, 
uh, depending on how they treat the loser of the Alabama Georgia SEC title game, like yeah. that would be the that would be the question. Uh, so you know, to me, the most likely outcome here is a top four that consists in some order of Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Oregon. That that to me feels like the most likely outcome. The committee has said we don't respect the Big Twelve, we don't respect the ACC. Uh, Notre Dame isn't going to get in um, at this stage with unless you know a lot of the teams ahead of it lose so you know that to me feels like the most likely outcome at this point that some combination of georgia alabama oregon ohio state am i way off the mark no i i think that's i think that's pretty accurate honestly um i don't know man I, the whole thing kind of pisses me off <laughs> because i the cfp pissing someone off no it's not the idea of the playoff is great i just yeah. i don't like that you have these dudes sitting and I, what I imagine to be incredibly like comfortable lounge chairs and crushed velvet robes, smoking cigars and drinking brandy and like laughing about how they're going to put Alabama <laughs> in another playoff. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it just feels, I don't know. It just feels so uh, I don't, just a good old boys club. And it just, it bothers me. It's dumb. And I know it's more, the, the more likelihood is they're all sitting around like a table and you know, fluorescent lighting and all that other stuff. And they're just going like, I don't know. What do you think? But it just, I don't know. Predetermined is the word I would go with. Yeah. Yeah. And predictable and yeah. predictable and predictable. What is not uh, frustrating or, or pissing anyone off is Ohio state opening as a 15 point favorite over Nebraska in advance of Saturday's noon kickoff in Lincoln's Memorial stadium. One of the great halls of college football it has been a hot minute since the home team has had a team worth writing about as Scott Frost and his Huskers are on the verge of yet another losing season. I, I'm not quite sure what I think about this matchup. I, I could see a range of possibilities for Ohio state, Nebraska, including, but not limited to, you know, the type of blood Ohio state put on Nebraska a few years ago, you know, a good old fashioned, butt whipping if this offense comes out, all, all guns ablazing. I could also see a Penn State type game where it's it's a harder fought contest. I think Nebraska maybe that's one bad of the, team in the country. Man. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Like it, it is one of the better terrible teams in the country. They they have a pretty good defense. Martinez at quarterback is having maybe his best season yet, and yet they're still a bad football team. So. Yeah. How does this one play out, Johnny? Do 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 we see the Buckeyes coming in and having their way with Nebraska, bounce back, recover from this this hard fought battle with Penn State, or is is an, is it another hold on to your butts, but the outcome's never really in doubt? Grinder. I think more of the latter than the former. Just Nebraska is better than maybe people want to give them credit for and adrian martinez like i said i mean who knows with that dude right like the most inconsistent player that i've really kind of seen in a really long time but um yeah it it's a road game it's at noon it just feels like one of those games where ohio state they might come out a little sleepy right they, they might come out a little lethargic and i could understand if it wasn't a blowout. I would like to see a blowout. I'd like to see them win by 50 points, and I think they're capable of that. But a lot of it will rest on how they handle, like you said, a pretty decent Huskers defense. Not an amazing one, but a decent one. And then whether Adrian Martinez is going to 
you know, be good Adrian or bad Adrian because you really have no idea. There's 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 seriously no way of knowing. I mean, um, they're three and six. They lost. They're on a three game losing streak. They lost to Purdue, and yet the they've <laughs> they've lost. I I mean, what like they haven't lost a game by more than eight points. So yeah. they've they've been more or less within a score. I that just I guess that's just baffling to me that you can be essentially within a score every week and still lose at that rate. Like that's just yeah. That it's, I mean that's sort of mind it's super unlucky. And it, it might is it get... is it? I'm not sure it's luck though. I mean Scott Frost to me is it is it has become clear to me he is not the guy. Oh, no. I mean, I, the thing is, I mean, he's had what? This is his fourth season, I think, with fourth Nebraska. Yeah. And and look, has done worse than Mike Riley did. You know what I mean? Like, he's not the dude. He's just he's not the dude. And, you know, I wanted to see him kind of bring Nebraska back a little bit. Nebraska but, needs to be back. I mean, like yeah. that's I was so when, when Ohio State, I'm sorry, when the Big Ten was doing its big move for expansion like nebraska was an exciting addition yeah that was an exciting tradition yeah i didn't it, care it, i wasn't like getting super hyped about rutgers or maryland but i no, was but pretty nebraska interested in nebraska was nebraska should have been like adding penn state penn state was a good addition to the conference yes and it has not that's not a good ad- no 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 and, and i you know they're not a good team and that's why they've lost those games i think they're better than people would think but you would hope on paper Ohio State wins this pretty easily. Um, but, you know, again, you look at some of the games that they've played in Michigan. They lost to Michigan State by three points, right? Like they didn't get blown out by Michigan State. Michigan State's a really good team. Uh, they lost by a touchdown to Oklahoma, yeah. right? Like Oklahoma's a pretty darn good team. And they they held o- Oklahoma's offense in check. Mm-hmm. Um, say what you want about Oklahoma in general. They still have a pretty, pretty decent, you know, even at that time with Spencer Rattler, they have a pretty decent offense. So, I don't know. I don't really know what to expect. And that's what makes it. That's what gives me kind of the heebie-jeebies a little bit because, you know, it's a game on the road, at least not a night game. Thank God. But um, yeah, it's, it's one to look out for. And I think I, yeah, I'm going to, I'm looking up the score that I sent in Dan. I said 38, 17 Ohio state. And I, you know, I think that's probably, Maybe even a little bit generous. I mean, what? That's a twenty-one. That's a three-touchdown victory. That's that's still a pretty comfortable win. Um, but I think a lot of high state fans might see something like that and go, "I don't know." Then that wasn't what we expected. We hoped for more, and that may be the best that you can get out of Lincoln. So well, I go back, and you know, I always like to look at the data and try to figure out, okay, how how do teams compare? And so I'll I'll use SP plus as a as a barometer. You know, looking at Nebraska's defense, Connolly has them rated as the number 19, the number 19 defense by, by SP plus. Now, if you want to compare that to Penn state, Penn state is the number five defense in SP plus yep. o- Ohio state, by the way, uh, number 15. So, you know, what that suggests is that Nebraska's defense is more like Ohio state's statistically in terms of efficiency. Mm-hmm. than it is like Penn State's. You know, that would that would lead me to believe that Ohio State would have uh, a much higher degree of success offensively than they did against Penn State. I would hope so. And you know? again, like a lot, with Penn State, like I said, a lot of it was because you were getting stymied so hard. 
and the run game at the beginning of the the game. So if you can rectify that a little bit and start run blocking a little bit better, I think that changes a lot of what happens afterwards. Because um, you don't want to wait till the second half for you know Trayvon to to get it going. Um, and you know, I don't think anybody can really keep up with Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Gary Wilson. So eventually i think ohio state would would pull away regardless but you you want to see this game be over by halftime that's really yeah if you're an ohio state fan you don't want a team like nebraska hanging around especially at home you know when you're you got to go on the road and i'm sure they'll be hyped for this game you just you want to put them to bed early i guess is what i'm mm-hmm. saying the other thing that i find really interesting is looking at the offensive rankings the sp plus offensive rankings so nebraska ranks uh, number 31 if you want to you know say okay what, 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 what word Penn state come in there? Penn state was the 49th offense <laughs> in terms of SP plus. So at the same time, I'm thinking Ohio state should have a much easier go of it against the Nebraska defense. Uh, right. <laughs> Nebraska may be looking and saying, well, we should have a much easier go uh, at it offensively against Ohio state's defense than what Penn state did because Penn state is not a very dynamic defense. Nebraska is no. much more dynamic, uh, not a very de- dynamic offense, right, offense. Uh, Nebraska, much more dynamic offense. And yet at the same time uh, has dropped six games and Ohio state could put them out of bowl contention and out of the possibility of a winning season. Connolly's SP plus overall gives Ohio state basically a two touchdown uh, advantage. If, if you were using SP plus to set the line, it would basically be two touchdowns. So take that for for what it's worth ohio state's offense is still number one in sp plus defense number 15 special teams number one in the country god bless you noah ruggles uh well (laughs) done well done well done and and for what it's worth ohio state would be seven tenths of a point uh, a seven tenths of a point favorite over georgia on a neutral field according to sp plus uh in other words flip a coin all right let's uh let's move on johnny i'm excited about the game on on Saturday, it's going to be a good one. I want to see Ohio State back uh, into that game over by the half-type form you alluded to. Let's crank it up for Ask Us Anything, and uh, that's a good time to remind everyone that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Hats, shirts, stickers. Worth mentioning, I believe, Johnny, my sources tell me, some new merch could be coming to the Dry Goods Store in a very short order and in time for the holidays. Yeah, actually, we've got five new shirts coming in. They're super sick. I can't, I can't reveal exactly quite yet what they entail, but they're, I'm very excited about them. Um, those should be in the store. I think honestly, with the next few days, as of this, um, uh, as of this recording, so definitely keep an eye out in the dry goods store for this because um, there, there's some really good ones coming out. I promise. Oh, and maybe some other accessories as well to maybe keep your eye on for that as buttons perhaps i'm a big button guy so yeah so it should be nice so i yeah especially as the holidays coming up uh something to check out i like the tease i will also tease our next appearance you know we're uh phoning this one in from the proverbial basement but we will be back out on the road continuing our buffalo wild wings world tour or uh, at least tour of the greater central Ohio metropolitan area. Thanks to Buffalo Wild Wings, the official sports bar of 11 Warriors. Our next stop on the tour will be at Easton Town Center. We'll be there on November the 11th. So that'll be next week. You can join us uh, starting at 7 o'clock Eastern time. We'll be recording the dubcast there. I say we, you will be there uh, with a 
someone uh, other than me. I'm going to be on the, the road with the family uh, that evening, but look forward to uh, hearing the dubcast November the 11th from Easton. So folks can come back and watch you and uh, one of our other talented colleagues mystery guest mystery guest anchoring it and schlubbing down some fabulous wings thanks to buffalo wild wings all right time for ask us anything which you can totally do by sending us an email dubcast at 11 warriors.com or hitting us up on ye old twitter uh johnny what do you got in the mailbag this week all right well we got first of all we got a couple questions from joe and joe number one asked should the buckeyes have uh used an alternative helmet design with the red uniforms uh if so red helmet with white silver and well white and silver stripe down the center something with the ohio state flag perhaps i you know what here's the thing first of all i thought the alternative uniforms were sick i enjoyed them quite a bit i know some people don't you know they they want to see more gray in the uniforms that's a valid complaint but i thought the color rush stuff that they did a la the nfl was pretty sick and i also like that they've kind of made it a penn state thing where they do that kind of stuff so that's kind of cool um i thought they were great i also agree though with joe let's let's incorporate the ohio state flag a little bit more you've got one of the coolest flags in, on the planet really i mean really you don't see a lot of those like burgy pennant looking kind of things let's 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 utilize that a little bit more i would like to see that more often in, in our alternate uh jerseys and things like that i think that's a great idea all right um, and the great tradition of uh you know point counterpoint type broadcasts throughout history i'm going to take the other argument and say the <laughs> the color rush uniforms were hot garbage and i hope we never do them again i like the black uniforms i tolerated the gray uniforms uh -huh. i love the cocaine whites Oh yeah, those are sick. all scarlet. You can miss me with that. I, I will say though, kudos to the Ohio State fan base for getting behind it. That there have been times in the past when they've tried to do you know something clever by asking everyone in the stadium to wear a given color that it hasn't always worked. The whiteout at Penn State is one of those unique things that I I think often imitated, never duplicated. I got to give Ohio State fans credit for doing the shoe looked really fantastic. Yeah. from the aerial shots um, well not hard to ask an ohio state fan to show up wearing red because they already own a jersey so yep, it's yep yep but but you know i you got to think though on a, on a day when it rained all day and it That's was true. cold and nasty like i was i was half expecting to see ponchos and, mm. and you know parkas and things and it not be scarlet but the place looked great but for me this was a miss. I like a lot of the alternate uniforms they've done. I, I kind of miss some of the throwbacks they did D to me. Um, this, this, the whole Scarlet just, it, it wasn't my tempo too much. Like Rutgers, um, didn't work for me. I I'm okay. Like, was I angry about it? Was I like, Oh, burn the place to the ground? No, of course not. Cause I'm a well-adjusted adult, but this was <laughs> not one of my favorite alt kits they've ever done. Yeah, I mean, you know, I like the shout out to Ohio State Beverage uh, Tomato Juice. I thought that was good. Um, by the way, so, okay, so early earlier we talked about the playoff rankings and whatnot. Joe just wants to know how, okay, so let's say we're the committee. How would we rank them? What would be our top six? Yeah, I, that's a great question. And, you know, we, we, we sort of alluded to this a little bit, but if I go back and, and look at the numbers, I feel good with Georgia at number one. I, I yeah. agree with you. Michigan State at number three is logical. Oregon, Ohio State, probably then Alabama for me. Um, I so you put so you put Michigan State too. I would. I would absolutely put okay. Michigan State too. The only I do struggle with the Cincinnati. You know, I know I made the case earlier that 
I would be salty as a drowned sailor if I were a Cincinnati fan. I do get the logic, though, that, you know, their conference schedule is not good. And they haven't just been blowing out all of their conference opponents. So I could make an argument that I would have ranked Cincinnati as high as, you know, maybe five. I probably still would have had Oregon and Ohio State ahead of them because I think they're clearly better teams. The, the challenge is what do you do with Alabama? Because I, you're not going to do the okie doke with Alabama where you're going to flip them the bird like the committee did with Oklahoma. That still mm-hmm. shocks me, frankly, although I think it's the right call. Um, so, you know, but, but can you imagine the heads that would have exploded across half the country if Alabama comes in ranked like seven? Yeah. I mean, mass outrage, but that's probably, I mean, that's probably what I would have done. I probably would have gone. I think they're, I think they're like five to seven range. Like yeah. if you're looking at like pure talent, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like I probably would have gone. I mean, Georgia clear number one based on resume and, and what we see. I think Michigan state's number two. I don't think they'll stay there, but that's probably yeah. where they deserve to be. Right. Uh, number three. I, I mean, I would probably bump Cincinnati as high as number three, frankly. I mean, I don't think they're that great, but I just think based on, first of all, you don't know, and they're undefeated in what they've done. I think that's probably where they deserve to be. And then if you want to put like, I don't know, maybe Oregon and then Alabama and then Ohio State, I think that's fine. I don't think anybody believes in Oklahoma, but they're also undefeated. So maybe even slide them above Ohio State. I I mean, look, a lot of this is going to get sorted out. I just think at this point, you have to combine two things. You have to combine resume and then also how these teams have looked. Cincinnati still has a really badass defense. Their, their offense hasn't been incredibly consistent. And, you know, Desmond Ritter is, has not been, you know, a Heisman contender that people kind of hoped that he would be. But like, there are a lot of teams with deficiencies. And I think they could play with pretty much any team in the country right now if you're looking at michigan state right as a top five team then i think cincinnati could play with michigan state are you kidding me like (laughs) peyton thorne had a terrible game against michigan he he looked awful and they won that game because kenneth walker the third is in an incredible running back and the best running back in the country cincinnati might be able to shut that dude down and if peyton thorne has a bad game cincinnati wins that game so I think they're right up there with any of the other teams in the top four or five and Ohio state with the loss against, albeit a pretty good Oregon team. Um, you know, they're just, they're not, they're not to that point yet. They haven't proven themselves to that point yet. Yeah. Um, they'll get their chances, but I, I don't know. I just think these rankings were all kind of jumbled up and it's, I would reward teams that have, have won good games like a Cincinnati against Notre Dame. Um, and, and bump them up a little higher than that because again where, as they stand they're screwed this is where the criteria and and we should acknowledge that the criteria the committee uses is a moving target and, and oh criteria, yeah they're just making up as they go along yeah criteria is yeah make yeah that's exactly that's exactly yes i can't say it any better than that make it up as you go along make your decisions and then adjust the criteria to fit yeah. the decisions no that's what they do not. they make their decisions and they go on espn they they trot out whoever representative wants to go out there and, and say this is why we did x y and z but it's always after the fact it's not it's not consistent uh, why is utsa why why is utsa an undefeated team not even ranked right like why are they just completely missing from the rankings and then what a five and three Wisconsin teams there. I mean, they're not paying it. They're not paying attention to well, Wisconsin big 10 yeah. West hater. You, 
yeah i I just they're not paying attention overall to a lot of this stuff and they're just kind of justifying their crap after the well you know and the thing that i find interesting about that comment your your observation is when it comes i always laugh at the coaches poll because it's it's not the coaches poll it's the uh sports information director poll is yeah (laughs) right what that is Uh, exactly you know ap i'm like all right fine i guess uh but here you have but there you've got a group of working stiffs who you know they're trying to do another job and then they you know mail in their they phone in their ballot yeah here you've got (laughs) that's their job here you've got a a group of millionaires who who are spending hours in a well-appointed luxury resort in texas is that where are they still meeting a grapevine oh i don't know wherever they're whatever secret bunker they're meeting you know they're they're having you know martini lunches and and uh you know, great catered meals to just watch every football game yeah. there is. And they still cock it up that badly. I, it's, you know, but all, all that to say back to the original question, you know, yeah, to me, the biggest issues are how low do you put Alabama and, and how high do you put Cincinnati? Cincinnati's a tough one. And, and back to this thing about criteria, number one, is it most deserving? Is it best resume is, you know, is it the team that's so that's that's always a debate every year it's a debate is which team is the most dirt deserving versus which is the best team uh which team is the, the the best team versus which team has the best you know resume good good losses versus bad wins you know i mean some of these things we talk about get so stupid i i look at cincinnati and say cincinnati beat a big 10 team on the road by two touchdowns mm-hmm. that's pretty good I mean, it's yeah. Indiana. So we're not talking about the beating Ohio State, but still, they beat a Big Ten team on the road by two touchdowns, and they beat Notre Dame on the road, yeah, by eleven points. You know, so like those are two. What do you want? Those are two <laughs> pretty guess. good. Yeah, those are two pretty good teams for a group. Yeah. Of, group good wins for a group. Now, you know, they're going to get some hate for Tulane. They beat Tulane thirty-one to twelve. I mean, by the way, that's still a blowout. You don't have to score 60 points for a game to be a blowout, right? Yeah. Uh, but here's but, the thing, though. What what annoys me about all of this is that we look at their games as it, it exists in a vacuum. Other teams ahead of them played worse against worse well, opponents. Well, like, we're not doing this crap with Alabama, right? That's we're what not I'm saying. We're not every or Ohio game. State, even. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, sure. Uh, people yeah. do it. I mean, people do it on Ohio State a little bit. I mean, how much how much nattering was there a few weeks ago about the Tulsa game? Oh, yeah, but Ohio State's they, still ahead of Cincinnati. That, that's my point. Yeah, they are it, now. But I'm like, but th- this th- this stuff does happen for other teams. It doesn't happen for Georgia and Alabama. Well, no, but that but I'm I guess what I'm saying though is just in general, it's not. This is a problem between a Power Five and G Five kind of thing, and that that's really what it is. It's like we don't care about you know a Power Five team having a close game against a really crappy team because we we just assume that was an off game but if a g5 team does that right yeah. oh, then yeah. that's who they are that right. that's their that's their team like oh that confirms what we thought you're not that great and mm-hmm. it's based on nothing and it's just it's stupid it, it's really stupid and again you know i'm not i'm not crying over you know cincinnati's poor ranking but if i were a cincinnati bearcat football fan i would be livid and and justifiably so Hey, do you remember when Arkansas was 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 good? Like, do you remember the beginning? Yeah, of the season? Like, right. So let's just throw let's just throw SEC teams at the refrigerator and see who sticks. Right. Well, like, I, okay. I'm Ole I'm Miss. Looking, I'm looking at Alabama's remaining schedule. You know, so you have an LSU team here with a lame duck coach. 
coming up this weekend. Yeah. Uh, I have zero faith that LSU is going to upset Alabama. They're going to get. They're going to give uh, order on the the uh, the Earl Bruce treatment. They're going <laughs> to have him go off on their shoulders because they love him so much. Yeah, he, 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 coach Co- coach Farmer Fran and his uh, cast of uh, girlfriends who come to practice apparently. Yeah. Uh, New Mexico State for the annual Chicken Shit Saturday uh festival of of sec fame followed by arkansas uh yeah that'll be a good time and then you know then the iron bowl so the iron bowl you know that never say never in the iron bowl i suppose i remember that kick six game uh very well that was fun i was sitting in outback steakhouse when auburn house that that missed field goal and like jubilation that was so much fun to watch so so it's certainly possible and god forbid if auburn pulls off the upset then that maybe invalidates everything we've said previously about alabama and georgia getting in the playoff regardless but i just am not seeing (laughs) another loss uh you know other than maybe the iron bowl there but yeah that's kind of my that's kind of my thoughts on the playoff and hey you know what it's going to sort itself out i would hope so uh i just want alabama to lose um so this next question here is from our good friend, Alvin, who wants to know this is a question for me, but I'm, I know that you can obviously answer this as well, Andy. Uh, house fatherhood, what is the most surprising thing as a first-time parent? So my son's about three months old now. And, you know, it's it's really cool to watch him kind of evolve and change because it's so much that he can do now that he absolutely could not do uh, in the first couple of weeks, which is kind of, you know, he's still... So I got to change his diaper and pee and poop and all that stuff. I think he's not changing his own diaper. With not yet. What are, you, what are you doing wrong? <laughs> I know we're trying to get the dog to be able to help us out with that. But um, the thing is, I, I feel like my wife and I were fairly well prepared for what was going to be expected of us as parents and, and what was going to happen and whatnot. Like, you know, we're reading the books and we're talking to our friends and my sister had a kid in May. So it's like, okay, we kind of see what's going to happen. Um, I would say the most surprising thing is probably like how little we really need if it, when it comes to like accessories and all this, cause I was like, Oh man, there's for every single specific thing, we're going to have to have like a whole, a whole apparatus. Right. And, and through this, we really don't like, there are certain needs that the baby has to have and that you got to take care of. And, um, you know, you find things that work well for that, but it's, it's really more, it, it's less about making sure you have every single possible thing and making sure that you have things that work well for you and what your pattern is. Um, because every baby, I'm, you know, is, is going to be completely different, right? Every baby's needs are going to be different. And it's really just finding like what works. It's just trial and error. And I, I think maybe that was the biggest thing. If I'm going to put a, you know, an absolute pin on it, it would be the amount of trial and error involved and then finding out what was necessary versus what isn't necessary. Um, Because there is a lot of trial and error and it's really stressful. It is so freaking stressful in the first month and a half to two months um, because you're like, Oh God, I'm going to, I'm ruining my kid for life because I can't figure out how much formula they should have, you know, and and an individual feeding, like understanding that stuff and and worrying about that stuff is, is really rough. Like, is my kid going to, is there, are they colicky? Are they going to be screaming for the next eight months? Like there's just a lot to think about. Um, 
but yeah, the trial and error part was probably something that I didn't quite expect. I thought that I would be able to be, you know, we would be able to be more just completely prepared and then ready for everything as opposed to, well, this doesn't work. So let's try this. That doesn't work. So let's try that. Um, that was what I think kind of caught me off guard a little bit, but it's fun. I mean, that that's actually, you know, it, that's one of the more endearing fun parts about it because you get to see like, okay, that we tried something, it works. Our, you know, kids seems to like it. So let's keep doing it. Um, and, you know, we talked about this thing before we started recording, like little r- routines that we establish, like we read them a story every night and then we sing them a song and then we put them in bed. And I love doing that. That's really fun. So that's the, that's kind of stuff that I really value. And it's been fun kind of like, you know, with my wife figuring all this stuff out and getting to, to do it. Now, I was also lucky enough that I had the benefit of taking a ton of time off too from work to be able to be with him and uh, kind of go through that whole process. So not everybody gets that opportunity and, and that makes it, I think, way harder. So I'm very grateful that, you know, I was privileged enough to be able to do that. So, yeah. And I, I just would, you know, and I'm eight closer to nine years down the line from where you are as a, as, as a parent. And it, it's funny, you know, thinking about like, there are a lot of things that I remember uh, about the stage you're going through now or that Alvin's you more recently gone through as well. And by the way, shout out yeah. Alvin, your kid's adorable. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. The things that like you're talking about with formula and stuff, like I barely remember dealing with formula. <laughs> but that's, like, okay. Like, so can like, I say this like, real what, quick, what I'm Andy? saying is like, you get to a point where your brain just erases some of that. Crap. Right. Like, I want to say remember, that though real quick. Cause this yeah. is a shout out. If you're a new parent, I really want to say this because nobody does this for new parents because people because what happens especially new parents who have like friends and stuff who've had kids and maybe the kids are a little bit older they completely forget what the first month and a half is like like nobody remembers and they don't tell parents that you're you're just going to be like it's not just that you're going to be tired and frustrated it's the fact that the the baby cannot emote (laughs) It, it cannot it cannot give you feedback about happiness so all it can do is just signal that it's hungry or needs to be changed or something like that. And that's via crying. And it's not going to smile at you because it can't, the baby can't physically do that yet consciously. And once the kid starts to react to you and react to external stimuli, then you're like, oh, wow, I'm doing an okay job. I feel a lot better. But that first month and a half is brutal because you're not getting feedback from your child about whether or not you're doing a good job or not. And I, that's the hardest part. I that's laugh, absolutely uh, the hardest part. I laugh because we often say, you know, we have, we have dogs. We love, we, we love dogs. We have one child, we have three dogs and, you know, we'll be sitting here watching television of a night and, you know, the three dogs are kind of on the floor and one of them will get up and they'll get up and they'll like walk across the room and stop and turn and then like, look at you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're trying to figure out, okay, is this the, I need to go outside. Look, is this right. the, Hey, it's bedtime, stupid. Why aren't you getting ready to give me my milk bone and put me in my crate for the night? Is it the I'm out of water, dummy, get up and refill it? Like, there are right. a number of things. And <laughs> so you're kind or, or you'll have, you know, sometimes they'll bark and you'll try to figure out. Like, I know the difference now between the, oh, that's the UPS man bark. Oh, that's the somebody walked their dog past the house bark. Oh, mm-hmm. that's the I'm just being an annoying so-and-so bark you know like you're you're that's yeah you're exactly right um you haven't been able to discern because they don't (laughs) they don't just hold up the sign well the difference between the uh, my diaper's full of crap cry versus the my belly is empty of crap cry (laughs) like they're they become different cries but that first month month and a half not so much yeah they don't 
they don't smile at you on purpose like that's that's the set like they do smile and they're happy yeah, yeah. And stuff. but like you're like i want my kid to be happy and i want the kid to know that i'm trying to make it happy and you can't like you can't make them happy and, and you're like you don't know you just don't know and now you know my son's at the point where he uh does do that and you know he sees my face or my wife's face and smiles at, and it's like that's an incredibly rewarding thing but you don't get that in the first month to month and a half and that sucks that sucks really hard and i just think more people like if you're a new parent and you're like man i just don't know that i'm not i'm not gonna be able to connect with my kid or whatever like that's a completely normal way to feel and it doesn't mean you're a bad parent it doesn't mean you're doing a bad job i think it's just way the kid is and and they will grow out of that they will get to the point where they can emote on purpose and all that and you'll be able to get that feedback but not having that for the first month month and a half is really hard um, but it doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. It yeah. It's, it, you know, I started on this and I kind of got myself distracted, but you, 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 you very quickly forget so many of those things. I, I barely remember dealing with formula, which is obviously a very important <laughs> part. And if you ask me like, like what kind of diapers we have, like hell, I don't, I don't remember. They were, they were it's probably huggies or, <laughs> right, you know, which some, rule my life some, right now. Some, right. Right. Like you spend all that time with them. And then, but then there's other things that I remember very well. Like you and I've had long conversations about sleep training and like getting your kid to sleep and the importance of napping and that sort of, yep. so there are things like that that I remember you and I were talking earlier about the importance of reading every night to your kid. There's things like that, that I could just go on and on and on and on about, but then the things that you were really freaked out about that first, you know, six weeks on the job, like, uh, yeah, your brain erases that crap because you no longer need to worry about it. It's not important. Right. And, and your brain takes care of that and it's done. Yep. So stick it out, my friend, and you'll be fine. But yeah, shout out to you and Alvin. You both have adorable children. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, my son's doing great. He's, you know, like I say, he's three months old. He's starting to giggle. He's a lot. It's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, 10 fingers and toes, everything's working out. So we're, we're lucky and, and you know, excited and it's, it's fun to see him develop. So thank you for asking that question. And thank you for asking all the questions, everyone who sent those in to ask us anything. And, uh, you know, come, come to, uh, to our show live next week and, and maybe ask him in person. We can, we can do some fun stuff with that as well. That'll be cool. All right. A couple of things before we wrap up one big shout out to, uh, the Ohio state wrestling program and specifically, uh, the recruiting role. It has been on the Buckeyes have the top rated, class for the recruiting class of 2022 we're about a week away from signing that class and the buckeyes are expecting pledges from the number one the number two and the number three overall recruits Giddy in the up. country yeah this week number one recruit jesse mendez announced his commitment he is the top rated recruit in the class Number one overall, it'd be probably a 141-pound prospect. He comes from Crown Point, Indiana. Joining in the class, a couple of Pennsylvania hammers, and number two, Nick Feldman, who is a heavyweight prospect out of Malvern Prep. And number three overall, Nick Buzakis, who comes from the famed Wyoming Seminary Prep program out of Pennsylvania as well. He'd be a, uh, another probably 133-pound prospect somewhere in that ballpark. So, you know, Tom Ryan still got it. Uh, it, it's really kind of incredible. And that's, uh, and by the way, not mentioning, uh, another top 20 recruit homegrown Seth, uh, Shoemate, who would be probably 197 pounder. So they've got a couple of really stout upperweights in there. They've got a couple of really stout lightweights in there. Uh, really amazing. I, I think literally no one has ever signed the number one, number two, and number three recruit in the class. So kudos to them hitting it at a big clip. Um, this is going to be hard for you because that whole new dad thing, but, uh, 
Uh, we got to try our best to get you out to a duel this. Uh, oh yeah, that'd be fun. I really want to do that. Um, yeah, we I'll, I should be able to swing that at some point. I think that would be kick ass. I would love that. Covelli is a great atmosphere. First dual meet of the season is uh, this weekend, actually Sunday afternoon. So after you're enjoying uh, football Saturday, um, you can come to the Covelli Center. Single game tickets, I believe, are still available. One o'clock as Ohio State welcomes the North Carolina Tar Heels, uh, which actually is a uh, if you don't follow wrestling, UNC is a really good program, really good program. The ACC mm-hmm. has some good wrestling and they've got a returning national champion, uh, on the lineup. So that'll be a really good contest. Ohio state has a lot of what, um, coach Ryan referred to as young veterans on its team this season. And, uh, North Carolina has several all Americans and, but also a lot of young guys on the team. So that'll be a good, um, a good one. Saturday, Sunday, rather at one o'clock at the Cavelli center and other recruiting news, you know, we're now on the cusp of not only wrestling season getting underway, but basketball season getting underway. And about, I swear, like 37 seconds after I, I posted the news about Jesse Mendez committing to the wrestling team, George Washington, the third committed to Chris Holtman and the basketball program. Are you ready for hoops, my friend? Because, you know, a, a four-star recruit signing for the class of 23 or committing to the class of 23 is uh, not a bad way to kick off the basketball season. You know what? I feel like I'm never ready for basketball season. I feel, it just sneaks up on me because it's in the middle of ba- football season. And then, you know, the, okay, they got an exhi- exhibition game and then now they're playing the first game. You're like, what? So it just, it, my brain hasn't adapted to the fact that I have to pay attention to multiple sports at the same time quite yet. Uh, but I'm excited for this team. I think it'll be a fun team to watch. Obviously you got Liddell back and you want him to be a big time, you know, impact on the, uh, on the team. And you want to see a guy like justice doing take uh, the next step. And hopefully a guy like Seth towns can get healthy and they can, you know, hopefully have him play by the middle of the season and, and be effective. Um, you know, I think they were like, like ranked 17th in the initial poll. Um, that's probably about where I would, you know, put them, you know, bottom, bottom half, bottom third of the top 25, but there's, there's room for improvement and it's a long season. So I think they can develop into something pretty fun. And Liddell named, you mentioned Liddell named uh, to the watch list for NABC Division One National Player of the Year. And I believe yep. if you are doing the Instagram, you can also vote for Liddell for preseason player of the year on Instagram if you're be nice. so inclined to do that sort of thing. Uh, a, a lot of excitement here. And it's nice to see, you know, that Holtman is is able to go out and get a top 50 prospect and go back to George Washington the third, a four-star combo guard. Um, yeah, I, that, that's a good get. They need, they need somebody who can, who can handle the ball, uh, put some points on the board. This is a a big time prospect out of Christian Academy in Louisville. So anytime you're pulling a player out of Kentucky, you know, especially Louisville, right? Like that's, that's legit that that that's legit agreed and as you mentioned we're on the cusp of the season uh the buckeyes won 82 to 46 in their exhibition match over indianapolis the greyhounds and they will host the zips of akron next tuesday the 9th at six o'clock in value city arena and then we're off to the races you got games coming up uh in very short order akron niagara bowling green xavier seton hall and florida or cal in that uh tournament game in fort myers florida all mm. before thanksgiving so we're going to get to thanksgiving which feels like it's only just from here to there and have a half a dozen games 
under the team's belt already. Yeah. That's, that Xavier game is going to be sick. I'm excited for that. That'll be fun. That game's going to be sick. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited actually about that Fort Myers tournament. I think that's, that could be a few good ones. And, and then, oh, by the way, you know, after Thanksgiving, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, Duke, yes, that Duke yeah, comes to Duke-ies. Value City Arena. So fun times going to find out if this basketball team's got any juice to it or not quick cows as we wrap up cj stroud uh indicated this week on a television appearance the big 10 network that his injury of the minnesota game was a separated ac joint now maybe makes a little more sense knowing that he suffered that in the season opener against minnesota why uh he didn't look quite quite right those first yeah. couple of games but seems like he uh, especially after taking that one week rest is 100 percent back to normal. And, and I want your take on this one, Johnny, as we wrap up, Brian Hartline said this week that he can't imagine leaving Ohio state's wide receivers room anytime soon. I'm at the pinnacle of the ladder. He said, do you take him at his word? Or is this a guy you think is going to hear the siren song of, uh, opportunity at other programs in the off season? I mean, you might hear the siren song of like millions of dollars, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it feels like, that he's the kind of guy who genuinely kind of just is happy with where he's at. Now, you know, in the off season, a lot of times we hear about assistants who go off and interview places and whatnot. We haven't heard that much chatter about Brian Hartline with regards to that. That could change. Um, but right now I, I will choose to believe him just because that's for my, you know, the best thing for my sanity. I would love the fact <laughs> I would love, I would love to think that the guy would stay at Ohio state for another 30 years is doing exactly what he's doing. But I, I know that's probably not super realistic. Um, but I do think that maybe for the foreseeable future, they, they will keep Brian Hartline around. And, and Hartline's making what I'm, I'm like, if- Five hundred fifty, six hundred thousand dollars yeah. a year, something along those lines. I mean, he's he's doing okay. Uh, Heartline to me is a little different. You know, the, when you mentioned the the siren song of millions of dollars, Heartline's a little bit different. This is a guy that made, I believe, according to Sport Track, eighteen million in his seven year NFL career. Yeah, he had a pretty good NFL career. He made some bank. Um, I'm, I'm going out on the bold assumption that he's you know, that he saved some of that cheddar. He, he didn't, yeah. he didn't spend it all on cars and boats and houses. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he really likes boats, but um, I'm, I'm sure that he, I'm sure that he's doing okay for himself. I don't think the money is, is maybe as big a consideration for him as it might be for other people. Um, but you know, you never know. And you... try to, he doesn't need to go out and reach to get a seven figure paycheck. In other words, cause he really needs the generational wealth. Right. But you never know. You never know what might, come out you know come across his, his desk and, and what people might want him for so we'll see but i yeah. think for the next year or two i think you don't have to worry too much about that dude i i hope so because he to me is uh the larry johnson of of wide receivers right now i think he is i think it is fair to say he is the best in the business at coaching that position and it is my fervent hope and zeal that ohio state uh and and gene smith backup yield brinks truck and keep the man home as long as he wants to be here yep. all right that's going to do it my friend uh, let's call it a ball game this has been a great episode and i look forward to being with you uh next week at buffalo wild wings at easton town place that on thursday uh, I'll, I'll look forward to hearing how it goes like I, I guess i have to remind myself i'm not actually going to be with you we'll have a special mystery guest host with you but be there i will be there in spirit and uh, maybe wherever i end up that evening i'll try to get some wings so that uh, we can we can be there in solid solidarity uh, at any rate you'll be talking about 
Ohio State's game versus Nebraska and uh, how things shake up after the trip to Lincoln. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast.